All right, Alexander, let's talk about a tweet from Tucker Carlson connected to Project Ukraine and Lloyd Austin and the funding to Project Ukraine. Let me read you what uh, Tucker Carlson posted on Twitter X. The Biden administration is openly threatening Americans over Ukraine in a classified briefing in the House yesterday. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin informed members that if they don't appropriate more money for Zelensky, quote, we'll send your uncles, cousins, and sons to fight Russia, end quote. Then Tucker says, pay the oligarchs or we'll kill your kids. And uh, this tweet has has received quite a lot of uh, attention. Elon Musk replied, he really said this, question mark. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy also uh, chimed in on this, uh, this post from Tucker Carlson. I have no doubt that this is true. This, this absolutely uh, sounds like something the Biden White House or Lloyd Austin would, uh, would do or say to Congress because there is just a general freak out, a general panic that is gripping the Biden White House from Biden to Austin to Blinken to Kirby. So I have no doubt that Austin told Congress, if you don't give money to Project Ukraine, then our sons and daughters and cousins, they're going to have to fight the Russians because the narrative is that once Russia wins in Ukraine, then they're going to invade all of all of Europe, all of NATO. That's that's the narrative. And they've actually said this in the past. They've kind of circled back around to this uh, to this narrative about Russia invading Europe and recreating the Tsar Empire or the Soviet Union or even going beyond that, capturing France or something like that. So um, this is a narrative that they've recycled. I have no doubt that this is true, but I don't think it's a it's a shocking revelation. It sounds like something Lloyd Austin would absolutely say to Congress in order to try and get them to to pour money to Project Ukraine. Just just one final note. Three, four days ago, Austin was saying that Congress should give money to Ukraine because it would be good for American jobs. So we've gone from good to American jobs to invading Europe. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think most likely it was said. I mean, we've had some indirect confirmations about the kind of things that he was saying. I mean, there's uh, there's a, one of the people who was there who was a, a, a for House Foreign Affairs Chairman, Michael McCall. <coughs> he said that um, Austin said to the Congress people that it was very likely if they didn't pass funding for you know, Ukraine very likely that it would lead to U.S. troops fighting a war in Europe. If this is a direct quote now, if Vladimir Putin takes over Ukraine, he'll get Moldova, Georgia, then maybe the Baltics. And a couple of days ago, there was an article in the Financial Times, which Gideon Rackman, who's very well connected journalist, said that people in the U.S., Uh, in the government, in the U.S. government, in the offices in the U.S. government are now worried that by the end of 2024, Putin might be threatening the Baltic states. And then we had John Kirby also talking about these flesh-creeping things, you know, that Putin's appetite will grow with the eating if he takes Ukraine and uh, he'll be able to move on and advance into all kinds of other places. So, you know, I, I think that Austin did say it, and I think it's also very much of a piece. I mean, it's 
it's it, if you watch that program with um that we did um uh, with Colonel Wilkins uh, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson who is Colin Powell's um, chief of, uh, chief of staff and we did on the Duran uh, Wilkerson said he gave an he gave a sense of what these people are like to deal with in interpersonal reactions when they're thwarted they become extremely angry i mean there is no uh, uh, hell hath no fury than a neocon scorned if i can say it like that so i mean i i think this is exactly what happened what what it tells me is that the administration's narrative is coming up against a lot of resistance and that as you might expect you know given that he is a neocon he lost his temper. And I think other people in the administration are losing their temper. But it's clear now that this is becoming an issue in American domestic politics, that there's a strong group of people in the Republican Party who are outright opposed to further funding from Ukraine. There was a vote in the Senate where the Senate refused to move forward with a procedural motion for funding for Ukraine. One... Uh, uh, Senator who is generally aligned with the Democrats, he's an independent from Vermont, voted with the Republicans against further funding for Ukraine. I personally believe that eventually, because to be straightforward about it, most people in Congress are either outright neocons or people who generally accept neocon narratives. They will authorise some funding for Ukraine. But what it shows is that there is a huge amount of resistance now within Congress to this issue. And of course, when we see this new version of the domino theory um, discredited, when, um, you know, the Russians win in Ukraine, and as everybody now expects that they will, when the, you know, the Russians finally defeat um, the Ukraine, and none of these terrifying things that we're hearing about actually happens. Well, then at that point, all of these people will try and forget the fact that they ever said these things. The other thing I would say about this particular episode is that, to my mind, the really big thing, the thing that's really worrying the administration, more even than the fall of Ukraine, is the uh, fear of what will happen in the election. And again, going back to that article by Gideon Rackman, there was apparently people telling him from within the Democratic Party, within the DNC, that they're worried that unless this funding gets through, then in January, people will be starting to talk about Joe Biden as the man who lost Ukraine. And that's what they really want to avoid. This whole thing now is an exercise in keeping Ukraine going until the election. We've been saying that now for for probably a year, actually, haven't we? I mean, because, because you have guys like Sullivan, who is a campaign guy. He's not, he's not a diplomat. He's not a national security expert. He's a campaign guy. No, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what he does. That's what he's always done. So for him, he's, he's thinking campaign, you know, 2024. What... What are the prospects of Joe Biden uh, being reelected and defeating the the evil orange man? And and Biden's poll numbers are sinking. He's 
CNN came out with a poll, actually, I think his approval is at like 37%. It's at like an all-time low. And this is CNN, who's very pro-Biden White House. But he's the man that lost Afghanistan. He's the man that's lost to the Middle East. He's the man that's lost Ukraine. And and Joe Biden, when he when he came into the White House, he was touted as being the foreign policy genius. I mean, that was his expertise. Biden was what was the man who who was a foreign policy expert specialist. And now it turns out he's a foreign policy idiot. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to, to, to describe it. He, he he's he's completely taken the U.S off of the, the, the international stage. I mean, the U.S. is internationally is, is, is at an all-time isolated low point. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely... You can't, you can't argue it. But, but, but it's no surprise. What I want to just quickly say is, is what you said is, is no surprise that they're thinking campaign because many of, of Biden's guys that he put into, into these top positions are people who come from his campaign or the Hillary Clinton campaign machine. Completely expected. Uh, absolutely. But you see, this is, a, I mean, coming back to your point, this, this whole situation has ultimately been created by the administration itself. I mean, this is the thing to say. Uh, way back in December 2021, the Russians weren't talking about, um, you know, conquering the Baltic states or anything of that kind. They were trying to get the Americans to agree not to expand NATO into Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, had Biden come along and said to uh, Putin at that time, um, you know, as president of the United States, I could tell you absolutely the United States has no plan or intention to admit Ukraine into NATO and I do not expect any administration that succeeds mine to change that position. And we can then discuss and negotiate about further security guarantees. And we will make sure that the Ukrainians implement the Minsk agreement. <laughs> now, had he said all of that, he wouldn't be in this situation now. But of course, he went down the rabbit hole. He said that, you know, NATO membership for Ukraine is non-negotiable. He said that he, he put together this massive sanctions package that was going to turn, you know, the ruble into rubble and cause the Russian economy to collapse. He provided all those vast weapons to Ukraine in enormous numbers. He pushed the Ukrainians, and we've had a massive article about this in the Washington Post, about uh, you know how his people egged the Ukrainians on to launch their offensive in the summer. And it's all fallen apart. The ruble wasn't turned into rubble. The economy in Russia isn't in a state of collapse. The offensive failed disastrously. The Russians are now on the offensive. So what he's now doing and the people around him are now doing is they're dusting off the old domino theory from the 1960s that, you know, it's a whole row of dominoes. Uh, uh, we must fight in Vietnam because if we don't fight in Vietnam, we'll be fighting in the Philippines and Indonesia and Thailand and who knows where because, the you know, the communists will move on and take all of take over all of those places and we are going to do the same we're going to do the same this we're going to have to do the same this time if ukraine goes then putin will come after georgia and moldova 
and the Baltic states. Now, I have to say this. I mean, this is reckless politics. I mean, talking to Congress people in the kind of way that Lloyd Austin is said to have spoken to them, in effect, threatening them. I can't imagine that that's going to make them look more favourably upon Lloyd Austin. And I don't think any of them seriously believe this either. And I'm going to say something else. Some of them. Some of them. Yeah, well, some of the the (laughs) ones who who will be predisposed to believe it are the ones who probably will ultimately support this anyway. I would have thought that amongst those who are now against funding, this is going to harden their opposition and it's probably going to expand it. Remember, the Republican Party is split. So uh, a lot of Republicans are hardliners anyway on foreign policy and military issues. So they would probably be predisposed to go along with this anyway. But the others who are not, the ones who see through this, are, are going to be feel insulted and hardened. And as I said, you're going to probably see this expand. And by the way, it's not just Lloyd Austin who's talking in this extraordinary way. Uh, John Kirby was talking in exactly the same way also, you know, that American troops may have to be sent to Europe if, you you know, if this funding doesn't come because Ukraine will then fall and all of that sort of thing. So, you know, remember, Biden himself brought this all about. He refused to conduct proper diplomacy in 2021 and 2022. Um, And uh, ultimately, this is just the usual narrative dusted off from the 1960s. We've heard it many, many times before. It's always proved wrong. (laughs) There's no reason to think it's right this time. In fact, I can confidently say that it is not right this time. But it shows you how desperate they're getting, how frightened they're becoming, because this is desperation. This is fear, uh, because everything that they've tried up to this point with respect to Russia and Project Ukraine has gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, Biden's been emotionally invested in this project for for many, many years in in Ukraine in general. I mean, he's he's knee deep in Project Ukraine. And um, I was reading the, the indictments against Hunter Biden, his son. And um, of course, all the articles, they talk about Burisma and Hunter's involvement in Burisma and the money that he received from Burisma. It just reminds me about the history that Biden has with Ukraine. I imagine it's a history that many people in the U.S. government and Congress have with Ukraine. I mean, they're 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 financially invested in Ukraine. Their donors are probably financially invested, definitely financially invested in Ukraine. Um, the, the Biden White House, the Biden family, obviously, is connected to uh, to Ukraine. We had we had the, the the Trump impeachment was was connected to to Ukraine and this phone call he had with uh, with uh, Zelensky. Um, and then you have the the Sullivans, the campaign guys who are who are like, you know, let's just fund Ukraine so we can get Ukraine over the 2024 uh, finish line. And then, you know, we could each go our we can all go our separate ways. And, uh, you know, we don't even have to talk about Ukraine anymore. We can forget about it. But at least let's let's not have it collapse while it's on our watch. That's what they're concerned about. And then you have the hardcore neocons who have this 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 hatred 
of, of Russia. They want to see it destroyed at all costs, even if it means destroying the United States of America, which is what's happening. The U.S. is being destroyed. Europe has been destroyed on Project Ukraine. So, I mean, it's it's like a perfect storm of uh, of, of of misery and and a catastrophe. It's it's unbelievable to see this unfolding. But uh, the domino theory. Let's talk about that. Let's 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 go down that rabbit hole. Uh, my first question to you: uh, What does it matter if Russia defeats Ukraine for the collective West for NATO? What does it matter for the United States? Is there is there some sort of a, of a treaty? Is there some sort of an alliance? What's the big deal? Oh, this is absolutely That's absolutely my first correct. question. I mean, everyone's saying, You're, oh, my God, Russia's going to take over Ukraine. What does it matter? Yeah, Answer well, that. The, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions about, well, about you, you, this, you, this whole yeah. domino theory uh, well, argument uh, that they're uh, using. Uh, uh, on that point, of course, you're absolutely right. And uh, Boris Pistorius, the German defence minister, was asked that precise question. Are we allies of Ukraine? And he said, no, we are not allies of Ukraine. So, I mean, you know, in the, the West, as you absolutely rightly say, has viscerally, the Biden administration is viscerally invested in Ukraine. But this is the point that many, many Republicans are making. This is not ultimately a matter of direct American interests. The only reason it has been made so is because of that visceral, emotional, financial investment which has already been made in Ukraine. The fact that, you know, all these people have become so involved in Ukraine and the neocons of all these extraordinary projects uh, around Ukraine. This is, this, is, this, is, this is why Ukraine has become important. It is important to them. It is not necessarily important to the United States, nor is it existentially important to NATO. Save, of course, that the more important the bigger the investment you make in Ukraine, the bigger the ultimate defeat is going to be. And of course, at some point, and you know, we're probably already not past that point, by the way, the defeat when it comes is going to be of, of great geopolitical significance. The world will see that the United States has taken on Russia. And it's lost. It, but of course, again, there were warnings about this. I mean, no less a person than Barack Obama said, don't meddle in Ukraine. The Russians will always have escalatory dominance there. But again, the Biden White House, the people around him didn't listen. And that's why we are where we are. By the way, on the question of pressure, the fact that these people are so inv emotionally invested, there's another bizarre twist to all of this, because, of course, Austin himself has just been to Kiev. He met Zaluzhny there. He met Zelensky there. And he's now getting shopping lists from the Ukrainians that are absolutely off the scale. Um, Zaluzhny asked him for 17 million shells, which... Austin had to tell him is more than exists in the world. He wanted $400 billion of assistance. There's now been apparently another request from Ukraine. They've now moved beyond F-16s. They want F-18s and they want uh, uh, C-17, uh, um, you know, 
big jet transport planes. They want pretty much everything. And they say, this is what we need to win. Well, if they need all that much to win, and it's, as I said, on an impossible scale, how can the United States get Ukraine to win? What's $60 billion going to achieve when the Ukrainians themselves say that they need uh, uh, seven times more? It makes perfect sense, actually, if you know the region. Uh, why not? Why not? Why wouldn't Ukraine ask for, for F-18s and 400 billion, 800 billion? Why not? They're probably sitting there and they're saying, you know, we're getting crushed anyway, so we might as well ask for everything. They've, they've given it to us in the past. I mean, that Washington Post article actually said that there was a time when Ukraine said we need a thousand uh, vehicles and the U.S. gave them a thousand five hundred so why not ask for, for, for all this money? Because you never know. They, they're, they're, they're so desperate. They're in such a panic. And, and the, the Ukraine uh, government, they see this. They see that they're in such a panic. And they see they're going to pay a very heavy political cost. They say, you know, just, just ask for, for everything. Ask for it all. And, and, and these fools may actually give it to us. That's what they're probably saying. But I mean... Uh, you know, what are your thoughts about that? And then I want to ask you another question. Um, you know, why, why would Putin invade um, the Baltics or NATO? Well, exactly. I mean, I mean, why? Would why? He, what's, what's the reason? Why would he, what's, I mean, what would I, he, I'm going to try to think. What, what's the reason? And, well, and, and he, why would he, after, after they've been telling us that the Russian military is 50% weaker because of, uh, of the conflict, and, and Russia's the second best military in Ukraine, not in the world, in Ukraine. So, you know, it, it seems to me like Russia is very, very weak and they wouldn't be able to even last a day against NATO, given everything they've told us about the Russian military. I don't know. Uh, your thoughts on, on, on what well, I said? Well, on, on, on the first question, of course, the Russians have repeatedly said that they have no interest in invading the Baltic states. As for what happens in Moldova, remember, there is a major internal crisis there. There's an internal crisis uh, uh, there's a simmering internal crisis in both Georgia and Armenia. But these are separate things. And again, why the United States should be worried about Georgia and Moldova and Armenia is a big moot question. But as for the Baltic states, the Russians have repeatedly said that they have no interest in um, attacking them. And I, I, I think that is true. I mean, that all the indications are that that is true. Why would the Russians want to go into the Baltic states? The Baltic states are tiny. They're of no great economic significance. They are probably a, another, just absorbing from the Russian point of view, another problem. The Russians are not wanted there, except by some Russian speakers maybe in the, some of the Baltic states, but nowhere near enough to really create an important critical mass. And I mean, the, the whole thing just doesn't make any kind of sense. It is, in fact, completely ridiculous. This whole narrative of Russian expansionism, which has been conjured up for decades, going way back into the Cold War, makes no sense either. I mean, it, 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 it is an absurd one. But, of course, the point is that the American neocons, the neocons in the United States, can say it because they know that they will never be challenged over it. And what you described, by the way, about the Americans 
being asked by Ukraine impossible amounts of equipment last year, and then to their astonishment getting it. And then, of course, they can say to themselves, well, if the, if the Americans are going to give us so much before, well, why not just double and triple and quadruple that? Well, that is exactly true. That is exactly right. But in, from an American perspective, that takes you straight back to the costs, sunk costs fallacy that you were talking about. And going back to your other point about the Russians being weak and demoralized and broken, well, Lloyd Austin, right at the start of all of this, was telling, telling us all that the objective was to weaken Russia. <laughs> and we see that instead of weakening Russia, it's apparently made Russia stronger so that they're now able to advance into Europe and Europe would tumble like the Holy Roman Empire did before Napoleon. It doesn't look like it's made Russia weaker. It looks like it's made Russia much stronger than it was before. So on that logic, if you continue to send more weapons and more men and more money and all that to Ukraine, all that you're going to do is you're going to make Russia stronger still. I mean, you know, if you apply logic to this, the whole, all of these arguments that Lloyd Austin and Kirby and all of the others come up with, uh, make no sense at all. They, they, they collapse under the weight of their own absurdity. But since when did neocons do logic? Yeah, you know, hey, I'm just I'm just repeating to you what the what the mainstream media and what these neocons have been telling us, which is three percent of our defense budget has destroyed fifty percent of the Russian military. So I figure, you know, fifty percent of the Russian military is destroyed. I don't think it would be that hard for NATO to completely wipe out the other 50%. That's what they were telling us. I don't know. Now it seems like they're 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 changing things around, but you know, what what do we know anyway? Um let, let, well, me, what, let me give what, you what, what that what that just tells you by the way is that in reality they know the truth. I mean, I the, the, what yeah. they were saying, that what they were saying before, they knew, they always knew that it wasn't true. And I think we need to make that point by the way. They knew it wasn't they true. They were lying. They were lying. <laughs> <laughs> they were lying. Which means, so let me, which let, means, of course, that we can trust everything that they're saying now. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's that's the point. That I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm being sarcastic a bit. I'm, I'm okay. I, I think we understand, uh, you know, where where we're getting at. But let me provide some. Let me give you some pushback on the Russian expansion thing because I think this is the argument that they would make to you about invading the bulk the, the Baltics and invading Poland and conquering Paris and who knows, Alexander, the Russians may end up in London. <laughs> you know, who knows? They, they may be right outside your, your door. But, um, you know, let, 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 me, let me give some pushback. What, what, what a neocon would tell you, uh, what someone at Fox News would say is, oh, well, uh, Putin annexed Crimea and he annexed uh, Zaporozhye, Kherson, Donetsk, Lugansk. Uh, those are four regions, Nikki Haley, by the way, if you're watching this video. So, you know, those are the four regions that you should, you know, make a note of. But um, that's what they would tell you. So they would say, well, you know, Putin did all of this. So why wouldn't he go after Poland? What, yeah, what I mean, would you say to that? Well, the And Georgia, I, I, throwing Georgia as well, because they bring up Georgia from 2008 as well. And I think that that needs clarification yes, also. Yes. Well, 
Uh, if we, if we first of all discuss Crimea, the four regions, all of these places, the point is these are historic Russia. They were places, they are places where Russian is spoken as the first language. They are very much part of the Ruski Mir, which is the Russian world. Poland, obviously, is not part of the Ruski Mir. Neither, for that matter, is Lithuania, nor, by the way, is Georgia. So I, I, there is already that fundamental difference. And if we're talking about the four regions and Crimea, this all goes back to the original Ukraine crisis, the decision to get bring Ukraine into NATO. And it's the fact that the Russians are in Crimea and in these other places is precisely a spin-off from the crisis of 2014, the coup that happened in 2014, and the fact that there was already, by that point, an invitation for Ukraine to join NATO, which the Russians always said, always said, was a red line. I mean, the, the CIA director, Bill Burns, can confirm that. We've seen his telegram. So given that this is so, um, I, I, I don't think that Georgia, Moldova, Armenia, all of these places certainly not Poland, are remotely comparable. From a Russian perspective, and of course they never look at Russian perspectives, this is a purely defensive operation. It is to keep NATO away from their borders and to protect the interests and rights of Russian speakers. And the mess that the West has created in Ukraine is what has ultimately brought this about. I mean, to extrapolate and say that because the Russians have you know, occupied Crimea that they're planning to march on Warsaw is, is a ridiculous, is a ridiculous theory. Now, um, about Georgia, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, the important point to make about those two places, those two regions, is that the Russians have not annexed them. <laughs> Again, there was a war when Georgia went against a decision the Security Council broke its own, uh, secure, broke its own um, ceasefire. All of this was detailed at length in a report done for the EU, which has, of course, been memory hold. But anyway, never mind. Georgia launched an attack on South Ossetia, attacked Russian peacekeepers there. Or, as I said, recorded fact. And the Russians responded. And what then happened is that the Russians came to an agreement afterwards, after this five-day war. They said, you know, let's sit down and talk about the future status of these two regions, these two breakaway regions from Georgia, South Ossetia and Abkhazia. And the Western powers all agreed to that. And then Georgia said it had agreed to it. But Saakashvili changed the language of the agreement after it had been reached in order to make it clear that Abkhazia and South Ossetia would remain part of Georgia, which went against the original agreement. And the Russians at that point said, well, in that case, we're just going to recognise the independence of these two regions, which have not, by the way, been annexed into Russia. Just saying. Saakashvili, the McCain yeah. protégé. Well, indeed. And of course, the, the current Georgian government 
is trying to rebuild relations with Russia. So, I mean, you know, talking about Georgia as being threatened, I mean, the Georgians at the moment, at least the current government in Georgia, um, doesn't want to hear these, this kind of language coming out of Washington because they want to uh, re-establish some kind of long-term connection to Russia, which they see as essential in Georgia's economic interests. So, um, you know, going off of, of what you said with regards to, to the four regions and uh, Crimea, um, and, and given the trajectory of this conflict, um, you would have to say that, that um, Odessa would definitely be, be part of the Ruski Mir. And uh, there will have to be some sort of, uh, of a solution to Transnistria. And most likely it will be um, a solution imposed by the Russians on uh, Moldova. I mean, it, well, cool. it, this well, is going to be the end game. In one form or another, something like this is, is going to, to, to be the picture when all of the, the dust settles. Absolutely, that's entirely correct. And, you know, but let me stress again, to the extent that that is expansion, is expansion. it is expansion which bad American policy has brought about. But it is inevitable now. There, could have, there were many, many opportunities, going all the way back to 2014 and before, to find some kind of long-term, sustainable, peaceful resolution to this problem in Ukraine, which would have satisfied everybody, or at least satisfied everybody's core interests. What you instead... They had it in Minsk. They had it in Minsk, exactly. I mean, it could have been done, it could have been achieved that way. And Minsk instead was sabotaged. Ukraine didn't abide by it. And instead of getting Ukraine, telling Ukraine, look, this is a UN Security Council resolution that, that you're going against. This agreement has been ratified by the Security Council. It's an agreement which your president signed that was brokered by Germany and France. You've got to implement it. Instead of doing all of that, the Americans and the British and eventually the Germans and the French facilitated Ukraine's sabotage of the Minsk Agreement. So, I mean, you know, there we go. I mean, it's, it's entirely a product of bad policy decisions that we are where we are. And conjuring up, um, you know, fantasies of the Russians marching on Paris is <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous now. Everything that we've been told about this crisis has turned out to be wrong. And that is wrong also. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, we'll end it there. Uh, 2014, the Obama Biden White House and and the coup with with Newland and Hyatt and Klitschko and all of these characters who are still still floating around in. in oh, the absolutely. Current, but you uh, could go back further there. still. I mean, you could say that the point when it all really started to go seriously wrong was in 2008, when NATO disregarded Russian warnings and extended an invitation to Ukraine to join NATO, despite the fact that a majority of people in Ukraine, around three quarters of the people then, were opposed to Ukrainian membership of NATO. So, I mean, you know, th this is, in fact, the point where it all really starts to go horribly wrong. Yeah. 
it's it's NATO expansionism. That's it's NATO expansionism. It's, it's not NATO Russian expansionism. It's it's NATO expansion that is that is the problem. Um, going against agreements reached with the Soviet Union and then with Russia at the end of the Cold War. All right, we will end the video there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran shop, 20% off. Use the code the Duran20. Take care.